The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. All right. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here. Uh, I think this is the second time I've been up to Jacob's Well. Um, first time I've been able to preach, so I'm excited to uh, see you all again. It's always exciting to see the way that this church is growing. It's a great encouragement uh, to me. And I'm sure it's a great encouragement to you. Um, if you've never, has anybody in here, except, except through me, has anyone ever heard of RUF? All right, that's great, that's great. This is not um, traditional RUF country. Uh, there, we only have two RUF works in the state. There's one at UW-Madison and one at UW-Milwaukee. Um, and just to give you a little bit of context about what RUF is, RUF is the campus ministry of the Presbyterian Church in America, which is, if you didn't know, the denomination that Jacob's Well is a part of. So, what that means is that, um, whether you knew it or not, I am your missionary uh, on campus in Madison. And so, uh, I want to say uh, thank you to those of you who are supporting us in our work uh, through finances and through prayer. Um, RUF is a ministry that uh, views its success uh, not in terms of uh, the short term, but in terms of the long term. So uh, the way that we like to talk about it is that we know if we're doing our job well or if God has been blessing the ministry, if we can look down, we can uh, talk to the students that were connected to our ministry 10 years later and if they're still uh, walking in faith and participating in the local church. Uh, and it is a great gift to be able to work uh, with college students. Things change so quickly with college students. Um, and uh, we ask that you would pray for us in our work there because it's not easy. It's a very strange job to be a 30-year-old man with twins walking around on a college campus trying to get college kids to hang out with me. It's just very weird. Uh, But from what I've heard and what I've gathered on the website is you all are in a series that is walking through the Gospel of John, in particular um, the, the end of the Gospel of John. And if you're here and you're not very familiar with the Bible, Uh, There are four books in the Bible that we call Gospels, and these four books tell the story of Jesus, each from a different perspective. And the one that we're going to be looking at this morning is called the Gospel of John, and uh, it is a glorious telling of the story of Jesus. It's full of meaning, not just in what it says, but in the way that the the story is ordered, um, the the structure of the uh, Gospel And uh, what we're looking at is the end of this gospel and what uh, the church has traditionally called the passion, the the part of Jesus's life that was uh, directed at uh, moving towards and experiencing uh, his death on the cross. We call this his passion because it comes from a Latin word that has to do with suffering or enduring. And so when you hear the passion of the Christ, First, you probably think of the Mel Gibson movie, and then what I want you to think of is the, the suffering that Jesus endured for the life of the world. So the text that we're going to be looking at this morning is John 12, uh, verses 44 to 50. Um, that's on page, I think it's 899 in the Red Bibles. I think the page numbers are actually printed in your order of worship, so if I got that wrong, just check that. We're looking at John... Chapter 12, verses 44 to 50. And in the, the chapter 12, uh, if you haven't heard or if you've never thought about it before, chapter 12 is kind of this hinge point in the gospel where uh, John's telling of Jesus' life turns from his 
public teaching ministry and in, in healing ministry. Jesus is kind of wandering around uh, in the ancient Near East teaching and healing and doing all these things, announcing kind of who he is and what it means that he is here. And it, it turns from this public teaching and healing ministry to his suffering, to his passion. This is where the Gospel of John begins to take its turn from the glory uh, of, the tr- of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, it turns from that into the horror of his death on the cross, and then ultimately the joy that comes in the morning of his resurrection. So that's where we're at. That's what we're looking at. I'm going to read the text to us, and then we'll pray. So I invite you to turn your attention to God's word. John chapter 12, verses 44 to 50. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day, for I have spoken not on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning, uh, for this crisp fall morning. In this beautiful state of Wisconsin, we pray that you would meet us here in this place as you have promised to do. Uh, We pray that you would meet us in our prayers to you, in our songs to you, um, in our listening to your word and our listening to it preached. Lord, we pray that you would uh, open our hearts to hear what it is you have to say to us, and we pray that you would use this word and this teaching uh, and this whole service uh, to shape us into the people that you would have us to be. We pray for all these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, so I start a lot of my sermons out like this, and I think if you wanted to psychoanalyze me, there's a lot, of, there's a lot to do here. But I moved around a lot growing up. So I was born in Indiana, uh, moved to Florida when I was two, moved to North Carolina when I was four, moved to Colorado when I was 12, moved back to Indiana when I was 13. And then since then, I've lived in Chicago, Cincinnati, St. Louis, and now Madison. So we've, I've done a lot of moving, um, and I actually really enjoyed it. And lots of my best stories for sermons <laughs> came, come from this experience. Uh, so one of the best discoveries that I ever made socially was in my experience of moving from Colorado to Indiana. And uh, what I learned was that in general in America, if you're good at sports, it makes you a good candidate for friendship, which is nice. Now this, you know, this really... It, it's, it, it was convenient for me, but it exposes one, I think, of the great idols of our culture, which is, uh, you know, that if you are good at sports, um, people tend to want to be around you, want to be with you. There's a great line from Hoosiers that God's come pretty cheap these days for putting a leather ball into an iron hoop, but I wasn't thinking about any of that. I was 13, and I needed new friends, and I happened to be good at basketball and football, and so um, all of a sudden, I was in this new place. I found this new talent that I had for basketball and football, and I had uh, friends that were just kind of popping out of the woodwork. They were inviting me to parties and all this stuff and sleepovers, and it was great. And there was this one kid named Chris, and uh, Chris invited me over to his house 
Uh, he was a new friend in seventh grade for a sleepover. He's this cool guy. He had a room down in the basement. Like this back, he probably had his own phone line, you know. And um, he had a video game set up in his room, which I thought was really cool. So his room was down in his basement, and it didn't have any windows. We stayed up. We were playing video games or something, and we stayed up really late. And we went to bed, and uh, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I had to use the bathroom. I don't know if you've ever gone to sleep in a basement without any windows, but it is very dark when you fall asleep in a room like that. And it's not just like very dark. It was pitch black. There was no light coming into this room. I could not see a thing. And I had never been in this room before. Like I had spent a few hours in it playing video games. And uh, I'd never been there before. And I, and I literally couldn't find my way out of the room. <laughs> so I woke up and uh, I was completely disoriented. I couldn't even see my hand in front of my face. And I, and I legitimately just kept like bumping into walls, like trying to find my way out of this room. And I thought I went all the way around the room and I couldn't find the door. <laughs> And I was beginning to panic because, like, I woke up for a reason. I had to use the bathroom. And I started frantically searching around, you know, like, feeling on the walls for something that felt like a door. The problem is he had paneling on his walls, and the door was also paneled. And so everything felt the same. Um, And it was getting really, I was getting really stressed. And uh, eventually I found the door, and I, I, I think I just, like, bumped into it, and it, like, bounced open a little bit. And a sliver of light came through, and it showed me the way. But I've never forgotten how terrifying that was to to be unable to see at all and for there there to be no one to help. I wasn't going to wake him up, right? I mean, we're trying to like, I'm trying to be cool. Now, most of you uh, have hopefully have not gotten through that specific scenario, complicated by your need to use bathroom, but I know because this room is full of humans, that some of you have felt this way before, emotionally or spiritually, lost in the dark, unable, literally unable, to see a way out, desperately groping around on the wall for something to grab onto, some, some door handle, Something that will open up to show you the way. Some of you in this room maybe feel that way even now. And what I want you to see is that one of the most powerful illustrations in the whole of John's gospel, one of the themes that runs through the entire gospel, and actually, in my, in my opinion, rings most true about the effect of the gospel on a person's life, has to do with darkness and light, has to do with a world that is drenched in darkness full of people who are desperate for light and people that are unable to find it. And in comes Jesus. This is how John presents the very beginning of his gospel. Jesus kind of breaks in to this dark world and he shines a light. He shines a way out, a way to relief, a way to life, a way to hope. And not just some like ambiguous kind of oprah version of hope, not just, not just a feeling of hope, but a specific hope that your wounds can be healed, that the broken systems in our world can be restored, redeemed, repaired, and that we can have life, life in the face of death. Death, that, you know, actually comes for us all. And what Jesus is doing here is he is about to give his life for the life of the world. This is the ending of his public ministry. These are the last words that he says out in public 
After this, the rest of the gospel is devoted to Jesus' time with his disciples and then his time on the cross and his resurrection. He's got one more thing to say before he goes to the cross. And he cries out to no one in particular. He cries out to us as we read these words. And he tries to tell us these three things. He summarizes his ministry in three ways. He says, before I go to the cross, I want you to know who I am. I want you to know what I've done. And I want you to know what you must do. So the first thing, who is Jesus? What is he trying to tell us to do? Who, who is he? He's trying to say who I am. This is one of the great questions of the gospel. It's asked in Matthew. It's asked in Mark. It's asked in Luke. And this question, Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? It pops up. As soon as Jesus begins teaching, as soon as he begins healing, he always causes a stir. People begin to ask each other, who is this guy? And in most of the gospels, in most of the occurrences where people begin to ask these kinds of questions, Jesus is a little cagey about his answer. In this book and in the other gospels, uh, he will command people who are coming to the realization of who he is the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, the hope of Israel. People who are coming to this realization, he's going to tell them to be quiet. (laughs) We're walking through the Gospel of Mark in RUF, and over and over again, Jesus does these crazy things, and then he's like, everybody be cool, be cool. And no one is ever cool because it's crazy. The reason, as far as I can tell, why Jesus is cagey about his identity kind of getting out into public is because he knows where he is headed ultimately, and he knows what he has to do before he gets there. And the way he talks about this is my hour. This is in the beginning of John's gospel. He rebukes his mom, who is asking him for a miracle, and he says, my hour has not yet come. But as you've seen in the last few weeks, his hour has come at this point in the gospel. And he's no longer cagey about his answer, about who he is, and he's going to get very specific about who he is. So look at verses 44 to 45. It says, Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Jesus' time has come. He's going to the cross. He's going through his passion. And he cries out to the world and he says, you need to know exactly who I am. You need to believe in me. And if you believe in me, you believe in the one who sent me. And if you see me, you see the one who sent me. Well, who sent him? Verse 49, the Father sent him. And when you hear this, it should take you all the way back to the beginning of the gospel. In John John chapter 1, verses 9 to 12, and then 17 to 18, this is what it says. says, This is John talking about Jesus, introducing his whole ministry. It's actually, it's up here on the screen here. And it says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He's talking about Jesus. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. This is one of the central tenets of Judaism. You cannot see God. The only God who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. Father, in the Gospel of John, is a way of referring to God. And Jesus says, the Father sent me. Jesus says, when you believe in me, when you believe in me, you believe in the Father. And when you see me, you see the Father. 
All of this is to say, and Jesus actually says this in another part in his ministry, he says, I and the Father are one. And this means that Jesus is God in the flesh. This pro- if you've been around the church, this probably doesn't shock you, but it should shock you. This is the central claim of the Christian faith, that God himself came in the man Jesus, walked around in first century Palestine, went to de- die on a cross, and then rose from the dead. Without that, it all falls apart. Jesus says, I am God in the flesh, and I was sent by the Father God because he loved the world. That is who I am, and I'm going to the cross for the life of the world. He says, you're going to have this light with you just a little while longer. And when you hear this story that is about to happen, this story of my torture and the story of my death, and when you begin to hear rumors of my resurrection... I want you to remember what I did and what I said in light of my identity. This is Jesus' last, these are his last words. It's a summary of his whole ministry. He says, I want you to know, I want you to remember, I want you to understand what is about to happen in light of my identity, and this is who I am. I am God in the flesh. So that's who he is. But he also wants us to understand what he's doing. If you look at verses 46 and 47, he says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus came into the world as a light to those who are walking in darkness. Which is to say, everyone. If you don't find yourself walking in some kind of darkness, I want to suggest to you that you are either ignoring it, We've just become accustomed to it. It's a little bit like uh, everyone in their family has a crazy uncle or a cousin. And if you think about your family and you can't think of one, that means that it's you. <laughs> I don't mean to be glib, but I, but I do mean that it is a fact that this world is marked by a deep and encompassing darkness. Some of us are more given to see this than others But the only way to miss it completely is to either numb yourself or to ignore it. And Jesus came into the world to shine a light into those dark places and to call them what they are, not to to reframe them with the power of positive thinking, but to call them what they are and to redeem them, in part now and fully in the last day when heaven actually comes down to earth, to shine light in all forms of personal sin and to redeem them to shine light in all forms of social injustice and to redeem them, to shine light even into the darkness of the grave and to bring resurrection. So you can't understand what Jesus came into the world to do unless you understand what he says in verse 47. He came into the world to save the world. Jesus is trying to show us unequivocally two things. First, that we need saving, (laughs) that we are lost in darkness and we cannot find a way out. There will never be a crack of light that will shine into the darkness of your life apart from Jesus. But he didn't come to just show us this to make us feel sad. (laughs) He came to do it. And in all of this, Jesus also wants you to know that he is doing nothing, nothing of his own accord. 
Verse 49, he says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has, given, has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. What to say and how to say it. Jesus says, The words that I speak are the words of God. The things that I do are the actions of God. And when you hear the story of Jesus, when you read the story of Jesus, you're reading the story of God. If you want to know what God looks like, this is one of the great questions, one of the great things about college ministry. The very first Bible study we ever had, I had met three students and we got together for a Bible study and two of them said, I don't really know who God is. And we were looking at John chapter one. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. There are many of us in this room, myself included, that probably at some point wished God would show himself to you. This is what Jesus is telling you. He's telling you that he has done that. God has made himself known in the person of Jesus Christ. One one commentator says that Jesus is God's memoir to the world. God has shown himself to the world in this story that we are looking at right now that has captivated people in every corner of the globe for thousands of years. And in this story, God himself is about to give himself up for the life of the world. So that's what Jesus has done. That's, that's his ministry. That's what he wants us to see. He wants us to see who he is, and he wants us to see what he has been about. Who he is and what he has done. And the last thing that he comes to, the last thing that he addresses here, is what you must do. I think this is really interesting because the beginning of this passage, like normally when Jesus is going around and talking to people, uh, the, the author of the gospel, wherever it is in the gospel, will say where Jesus is and who he's talking to. There's none of that here. This is a general cry out into the world of first century Palestine that has extended for 2,000 years to Green Bay, Wisconsin. He says, what you, what, what we must do in verses 47 to 48. It says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. He gets to the heart of the whole gospel of John here in these two verses. Now remember, John himself, one of the great things about John is that he actually explicitly tells us why he wrote the book. And he, hope, he tells us what he hopes will happen in the lives of those who read the book. In uh, chapter 20, verse 31, it says, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You see, John wrote these words, all of these words in the Gospel of John, for a very specific reason, so that you might believe what he believes. And he believes what Jesus says about himself, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. And if you believe in him, you have life in his name. Jesus is telling us what it is or, or who it is that you are believing in when you believe in him. And I think one of the great things to see here is that Jesus, he is crying out. It's like a desperation cry out into the world. It's his last words. 
Jesus and John, they want you to believe. (laughs) Not only because it's true, not only that by believing you become participants in this global story of redemption where broken stories can be rewritten, where sinful hearts can be freed from slavery to sin and addiction, where the problem of death that we all face can be answered with the promise of life, like he is telling you because he wants you to be participants in that story. Not only because of all of those things, but also because there are consequences for rejecting his word. Verses 47 and 48 are a warning. If you hear these words and you do not keep them, or if you reject who he is and what he has said, Jesus is not judging you. He's not judging in this moment here. But he is warning you. He's about to go to the cross to save those who will receive him. But this is a warning. This is, we should take note of this because these are Jesus's, like I said, last words to the general public. And he includes a warning. And the warning is that there will be a day of judgment. When the words that he has spoken that have been rejected those words that you have rejected will, they, will themselves condemn you. You see, these words, the words that are written to lead you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that, that are written that you might believe, that's why they are written. They are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and to have life in his name. And to reject the words is to reject Life. It is to reject light. There will be no room for death and for darkness when Christ returns to bring heaven to earth. There just won't be any room for it. And to make these words sink in a little deeper, Jesus says in verse 49 that he has not spoken on his own authority. He's not just some guy walking around the ancient Near East. It's not just another therapist to help make your life go better, to help you think positive and uplifting thoughts. See, Christianity is not fundamentally about thinking positive thoughts. (laughs) It's not fundamentally about feeling better. The effect of Christianity, its promises should make you feel better, should make you see the the world in, in brighter colors. That's not fundamentally what it's about. There are lots of things that can do that for you. Christianity is fundamentally about the promise of life in the face of death. About the possibility of light in the overwhelming darkness of this world. Of a door that will open. A door that we are all groping for in all sorts of ways. Through sex, through power, through money. And all the varied ways that we use those things to find meaning, to find happiness. It's about a door that will open and a ray of light that will pierce the darkness of this world. That is what Christianity is about. That is why Jesus came. That is why he is heading to the cross in his passion. And he wants you to know that to participate in the promises that he has sent out into the world requires belief in him. And he does not want you to be uninformed about that. 
Jesus intends this as a warning. But this warning is actually also an invitation. It is an invitation to believe. So if you're here and you do not believe, I want you to hear the warning clearly, but I also want you to hear the warning as an invitation. You can stick around this place. You can hear the story of the gospel told every week. You can explore it. You can ask questions about it. It is an invitation to come to him for life, life everlasting, and to come to him for light in the darkness of your life. And I want you to know, and I think Jesus wants you to know too, that it is the only light that will last. There are lots of things that can brighten your day. But if you've ever noticed, it fades. You have to go looking somewhere else for light. But Jesus says about himself, and other people say it about him, that he is light everlasting. He is life everlasting. And he is the only light that will last. And so as you walk through the rest of this gospel, you should hear these words in mind. These should be the words that help you interpret everything that Jesus is about to go do. It is an offer of life. It is an offer of light. And Jesus and John and myself, we want you to believe. And by believing, have life in his name. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word to us. Um, This word that rings out in the wilderness of our lives, into the darkness of our lives, as a light and a promise of life that rings out as a warning. Lord, we pray that you would help us to take the warnings that you give us seriously because you are God speaking to us. But we also pray that we would hear these warnings as an invitation to come to you for life. Lord, we pray that this word would sink deeply into our hearts and that we would be able to keep it uh, in our minds and even on our lips as we go into the world this week. And we pray for all these things in your son's name.